Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. So we're going to look at how PCOS impacts fertility and how PCOS impacts pregnancy. So if you're pregnant and you have this, I think you're going to get a lot of information about how to advocate for your best health and your best pregnancy. We also are going to look at examining the role and environmental impacts on the endocrine system and how it impacts PCOS and our hormones in general. I found this fascinating. And in fact, after this conversation, I went through a lot of the stuff I have in my house from my beauty products to stuff we use for cleaning products. And I got rid of them because the more I dive into this, the more I realize how delicate our bodies are and how there's so many outside factors that can change that, especially when we're looking at PCOS. So to have this conversation, I have Dr. Amatma Simmons, and I also have Doreen Block. Let me tell you a little bit about them. So Amatma Simmons is a double board certified neuropathic endocrinologist and doctor in practice for over 15 years. She specializes in fertility and is the best-selling author of two books, Fertility Secrets, What Your Doctor Didn't Tell You About Baby Making, and Infertility, Struggles, Secrets, and Successes. Doreen Block is the founder of Element, the first personalized prenatal supplement company. Doreen is a graduate of UC Berkeley and holds a nutrition science cert- certification from Stanford Medicine. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's Even though it's a big topic, it's a lighthearted, easy way and very understandable conversation. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Before we jump into my conversation with uh, Anmatma and Doreen, I just want to give you, as always, some studio updates. Wow, so things are still chugging along and, and really well. And I want to always thank the community for helping bolster PYC as we keep moving forward, heading towards our 22nd year. Wow, it's bonkers. So we still have all of our classes in the morning online. So we have six days a week of classes online and of course in studio as well. We have evening classes in studio. All of our workshops that are offered in studio also have a corresponding on-demand workshop. So you can check that out in our on-demand library. And then as we start to wind up our teacher trainings for this, what I I think of a year as in a school year um, because that's how my life works. So we're winding down our in-person teacher training. So this March and April will be our last of four in a row prenatal yoga teacher trainings. The first three were online, and this last one for March and April is in person in New York. So maybe you'll join me. And then we'll top off the year or finish off the school year in May with our online postnatal teacher training. So if you are passionate about supporting the pregnant person through a yoga practice, your childbirth education and community support, check out our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. If you are expected or a new parent and you want to dive deeper into our classes, also check out our website. And then as always, again, thanks for being part of our community. When or if you have a moment, I would so appreciate you taking the time to leave a rating and a review. It helps people find us. Okay, we're going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Amatma Simmons and Doreen Block. Hi, Doreen. Hi, Dr. Omatma. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. How are you? 
I'm doing great. You know, I'm excited to talk about PCOS because honestly, I don't know much about it. And when I started researching this, it seems so much more prevalent than I realized. So because this is a topic I have no idea about, I'm just going to sit here and like suck up information. So (laughs) I guess before we jump into that, first of all, welcome to the podcast, but I would love to learn a little bit more about both of you. So whoever wants to jump in and start. Uh, Sure, I can start. So I'm Dr. Omatma. I am a naturopathic doctor by training uh, with a board certification in naturopathic endocrinology, which is basically a fancy way of saying I really love hormones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I've spent a lot of time diving deep into hormones and into uh, mostly my specialty, which is fertility. Uh, and PCOS is definitely a big component of that. So yeah, I'm spending a lot of time in that world. And what else about me? I have a five-year-old. I became a mom later in life and had a relatively easeful experience thanks to all of the stuff that I was doing on myself (laughs) to like test it out. And um, just like, you know, get get my act together as much as I tell to my patients and clients to like, you have to do all these things. And they're like, do you do it? I'm like, actually, yes, I do. Thank you. And that's how I guess supported you becoming um, a later or older. I was also in what people would call a geriatric pregnancy. I had my first, I hate that term. Although now I kind of embrace it because I'm like, I'm a badass that way. So I had my first at 37 and my second at 40. Mm. And I was really proud of that. (laughs) So I believe, you know, supporting the the older, the older mom. Um, Doreen, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. Yes, I'm so happy to be here with both of you. I met Dr. Amatma several years ago when I was um, postpartum. I also have a five-year-old. And um, I come into the conversation a bit unconventionally. Um, Basically, I uh, decided to embark on this journey with Element, which is the first ever personalized prenatal supplement solution, when I realized through my own journey of um, becoming a mom that it felt like there were so many prenatal supplement options and yet the foundations were sort of missing in terms of how every pregnancy is different, every fertility journey is different. Why are our prenatal supplements not tailored to each particular person? And so I connected with Dr. Amatma around this idea several years ago, and um, it just, we really clicked, I think. And uh, it's just been such an important part of the journey of bringing Element from a concept all the way to now, you know, having amazing customers all around the world who are um, using Element to support their own journeys. So along the way, I got a nutrition certification from Stanford, and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area um, with my family. So that's a bit about me. Wonderful. All right, let's jump into this topic because again, I am just like an open book. I would love to learn. Well, maybe it's actually an empty book because I know nothing about it. So <laughs> let's jump into what is PCOS? Yeah. So PCOS is, uh, it stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. 
The first thing to note about PCOS, it's not actually one thing, even though the name makes it sound like it is. So the name in and of itself is like polycystic ovaries, right? So essentially there can be these cysts that grow in or on the ovaries that are kind of one of the classical signs and symptoms of PCOS. But really, the way that I think about PCOS is like it is really a syndrome. (laughs) So that's the only part that is actually true about its name. It's a syndrome. And traditionally, there there is the golden standard for the diagnosis, quote-unquote, of PCOS, which you have to have two of the three following criteria, oligo and ovulation, which means either you ovulate off-cycle, it's not regular, or it just doesn't happen in multiple cycles Hmm. frequently. Hyperandrogenism, which is either the pre, like one of the signs and symptoms of that is either you have like chin hair or hair on the abdomen, hair where it shouldn't really be hairy, (laughs) essentially. Mm -hmm. And then polycystic ovaries. So, of those three, you need to have two to get the official diagnosis. Unfortunately, there is what I call a big subpopulation of people that actually have some of the syndrome without the diagnosis. And that's where we can get into the nuances of it. But like PCOS is affecting a lot of people and there are a lot of people that it's impacting that maybe don't have the classical signs and symptoms and hence never get worked up for it. So that tends to be a lot of what I see in my practice because there's a lot of people that will come in and say, oh, I have unexplained infertility. And then we're doing their labs and I'm like, no, it's not actually unexplained. You have this like milder form of PCOS where you don't have the overt symptoms, but there's a degree of anovulation. There's a degree of imbalance of hormones that is just throwing off your fertility. Is it does it show up at a certain age more than others or is it kind of it can show up anytime? It it can honestly show up anytime. Uh a lot of people were maybe not diagnosed with it but early in their menstrual life. So hmm. at menarch or soon after menarch they were put on medications to um, kind of quote-unquote regulate their cycles, Mm -hmm. but the regulation of cycles really was kind of um, putting a Band-Aid over what was actually going on, which is the PCOS under the surface. So a lot of these women have had PCOS for a long time. We just didn't know it because they were on birth control. They're like, oh, my periods are always normal. Well, they're normal and regular only because you're on birth control and the instant you get off of it, cycles go crazy. And I just want to add that this is one of those topics that I feel like you know, back a decade ago, certainly I, myself or my friends, like, I feel like we didn't hear a lot about it, but just to wrap some numbers, you know, the CDC estimates that anywhere from six to 12% of women of reproductive age 
are affected by PCOS. So even though it may have been more taboo or something that people didn't hear about as often, it is something that is now being talked about more and more. So that's a significant amount, 6 12%. So how would it be? So you talked about there could be hair where like on your belly or your chin where oftentimes we don't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, missed menstrual cycles. Are there other symptoms? Like would someone feel it in their body? Like would they be achy or on their ovaries? Like how would someone even know to check in with their care provider about this? That's a little bit of the problem is that sometimes there are no symptoms, right? And like if you have polycystic ovaries, for example, if that was your symptom, but no one did an ultrasound to see if you have polycystic ovaries, we probably just wouldn't know. We wouldn't know the difference because there are no like physical symptoms of that. Okay. I'm wrapping my head around this. Uh, mm-hmm. So should should it then be regular screening well, or? Yeah. So uh, the symptom, I sorry, I, I was specific about the cis, polycystic ovaries, but the symptom, the other symptom that's often present, which is ignored, is the anovulation, is okay. the irregular menstrual cycles. Like the women with the really long cycles often are going to potentially be the ones that might have PCOS. And I'm pausing with the, like, it's not enough to diagnose, but it's enough to be that little, like, voice in the back of the head that needs to go off and say, hey, you need to just be worked up so Mm -hmm. that you can be sure if you have it or you don't. And if you do, it's okay. Like it's not the end of the world, but it's going to play a significant role in fertility if you have PCOS. All right, so let's actually jump into that. My mind has like so many questions, but let's <laughs> head down this road first. Yeah. So if someone has it, how I'm, I mean, I'm kind of putting it together in my head. It's going to impact fertility because if they're not having a cycle, <laughs> it's hard to figure out when you're ovulating. Yes, exactly. It, one in two women with PCOS actually struggle with fertility. So basically 50% of the women that have PCOS are going to have fertility issues. And so then they might not even realize, though, that's what's going on. They're just thinking, oh, I'm not getting pregnant. It's just our right. bad luck. Right. Yeah. And And it gets, it's so nuanced and it gets so tricky when they're like thinking about like, oh, we're trying, I get my period I every 30, let's say 32 days, just for the sake of like argument. Mm-hmm. If you get your period every 32 days, then somewhere at the halfway point would be when you're ovulating. So these women are walking around thinking they're ovulating because their cycles are regular, right? But if you've never checked an actual ovulation, you don't know. And the like, what's the biggest way that women are checking for ovulation? LH strips. And unfortunately in PCOS, LH strips aren't going to do it because hormonally their LH is usually much higher than an average population. So it's always going to show positive for LH. It's a matter of fact, it would be 
overtly confusing because <laughs> there is no LH surge. It's just like all the time LH is present and the uh, like the strips just get confused and they're like, what's happening? That's uh, funny. I thought you were going to say how they check. This is just where clearly my brain goes. So you're like, how do you check for ovulation? And my first thought is like the vaginal fluid, the mucus. And, and, but, oh, so yes. would, but would that be the case? For someone with PCOS. So again, like the nuance of this is often women with PCOS are going to have higher amounts of cervical fluid. So Ah. it's not always like fertile cervical mucus, but they're going to have more of it. So it's going to be women that literally like end of cycle, there's no dry days. They just go right into cervical mucus and then they have cervical mucus on and off for weeks. And they're like, well, so they're, they're very confused. was this fertile or not? Yeah. Oh gosh. Basically. that does sound... Okay. So I see how that, imp- that impacts fertility. How, so say someone does get pregnant, they have PCOS. How does it impact pregnancy? There are a lot of impacts to pregnancy. Uh, one of the biggest ones, and we didn't talk about it yet. So one of the things that I think is a big cofactor in PCOS is the metabolic impact. And uh, often these women have insulin resistance, high blood sugar levels. Like there's a, uh, the metabolic component of it is pretty large When they get pregnant, they're now at higher risk for gestational diabetes as well as uh, higher risk for preeclampsia because of the cardiovascular effect of PCOS. So it's, yes, we think of this as like a hormonal issue, but it's impacting so many things that are going to be more likely to show up in pregnancy, creating more problems essentially for the mom and the baby. So if someone doesn't know they have PCOS, they got, they may have had some fertility issues, but they got pregnant, but they haven't, they don't realize they have that. And they're, they may be at a higher risk of gestational diabetes and preeclampsia, especially preeclampsia, quite, quite concerning. How would their care provider know to even be on the lookout for these things? Mm-hmm. Uh, you you need a really good provider, essentially. Okay. So and and I can I'm sort of laughing because I I had like I when I was pregnant, I got preeclampsia and it was like two or three weeks before my due date. So it wasn't like a long period of time that I had it, but every practitioner in that practice missed it. The only reason that they even like thought to work me up was my adamantness around like, no, this, you need to work this up. And the OB was like, no, you're fine. Your blood pressure is 120 over 80. I'm like, check the records for the entire pregnancy. My blood pressure has been like 90 or a hundred over 75, right? Like 60 even. Like I run so low on my blood pressure that they didn't realize that the 120 over 80 was hypertensive for me. So (laughs) it's kind of funny because you just like, you have to have a practitioner that's just very aware of 
what's happening for you? Are they listening to you and not just going by the stats? Right. Is it out of the norm for the individual? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then like if you knew that you had PCOS, like some of our clients, we usually encourage them to do gestational diabetes testing early. We're putting in protocols in their preconception period so that they have lesser risk of any issues in pregnancy. So we have a pretty good track record, like women that are going through pregnancy, even with PCOS, like they don't have to get these things, right? They're somewhat preventable. They're somewhat in our our power uh, to influence, but knowing is the biggest factor. Like once you know, then you're like, okay, great. We can do something about it. Uh, a lot of PCOS women are like, oh my God, will I ever get pregnant? I'm like, the gift of PCOS is you will always get pregnant. You just need the right keys to do it, right? Like someone needs to know how to put all the pieces together for what's happening for you. And you need the right support nutritionally, but almost all of them get pregnant and have a healthy child. Okay. So my brain's going in another direction. All right. Before (laughs) I open this can of worms, we're going to take a super quick break. We come back. Let's talk about how, if someone does have PCOS and they want to get pregnant, how do we stack the cards in their favor to support that fertility? That's a big question. (laughs) Let's take a break and we'll come right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. So now someone might be listening. We're back. Someone might be listening. They're like, okay, I I have PCOS or I think I do. And they're going to find out and they do want to get pregnant. How, and we know it can impact fertility. What are some of the steps they can take to help that? Because I'm sure if they've been trying and their cycles are kind of unreadable to the, some of the more common indicators of fertility and ovulation, they're probably frustrated. So what are some of the steps they can take? Yeah. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to loop Doreen in, in a second here. Um, But really if they know that they have PCOS, our first question is what type of PCOS? And, oh, I didn't know there are different kinds. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's at least four different kinds, and there's still like debate about other ones. So we need to figure out like what is the underlying physiology that's causing your PCOS? Is it inflammation? Is it the hormones? Is it that your body is not responding or doesn't have a great connection between your insulin and blood sugar and your ovaries. And there's there's a connection there. Is it that you have hypothyroid and that's connected to your PCOS? Mm-hmm. Uh, and women with PCOS have higher chances of thyroid issues. So there, there are a lot of different things that can be happening under the surface that so often like 
slapping a label on it doesn't actually help us figure out. So to me, that's the first step. And then based on what's going on, we get more uh, more in depth about what things are going to support the preconception phase, what things are going to need to be optimized in order to get them to that optimal fertile state. And then we can um, bring in supplements, herbs, all the things that are going to support that transformation and support their pregnancy. Okay. Now that makes a lot of sense. And then I'm assuming they want to get a care provider besides working with maybe, would they be working with an endocrinologist or a naturopath like you or all the above? And then a care provider, either midwife or doc or OB that is familiar with all with this. Mm -hmm. Is that how you want to get the team together? Yeah, exactly. Like I am a big proponent of them finding a naturopathic endocrinologist because PCOS like primarily is an endocrinology issue, but they, if that endocrinologist doesn't see all of the underlying stuff, which is what naturopaths are good for, um, if they don't see the underlying stuff, then they're just, they're likely to be given metformin, which is the most common treatment in the Western world, in the endocrinology world for PCOS. But like I said, metformin will address the insulin resistance, uh, blood sugar imbalance, all of those things, but it doesn't actually do anything for the ovaries. So now we're at the point of like, okay, well, we think it's sort of under control. Uh, Now you need to do Clomid. That's the secondary step. So we gave you metformin. You didn't get pregnant. Let's give you Clomid. That doesn't work. Let's put you into IVF. Um, Can you back? Because I know what Clomid is. My friend used it. But can you talk a little bit about what that is for people that are not sure? Yeah, totally. Clomid and or letrozole, I should say. So there's two options there. It's basically um, medications that stimulate ovulation to happen so that there can be uh, potential for conception, right? So if, if you're anovulating, meaning you never release an egg, the eggs just kind of dissolve and turn into cysts, which is what is happening with the multiple cysts, then uh, you don't ever release that follicle in order for conception to be possible. So basically the idea is let's give you a medication to cause that release. And once the egg is released, then theoretically the egg and sperm should meet and you can get pregnant. Okay. All right, I'm wrapping my head all around this. <laughs> so would these be the main... So these are the treatments that I'm guessing are kind of typically used. Mm-hmm, is there mm-hmm. other treatments that may not be kind of mainstream that you recommend? Absolutely, for absolutely. Um, there are... There's really good research actually on berberine. There are double-blind placebo-controlled studies comparing metformin to berberine and berberine had better outcomes and what which is, is berberine? pretty amazing berberine is an herb uh it, it's well it's an extract of an herb it comes there's a few different herbs that are high in berberine um but berberine, berberine is essentially a compound that is from plants that supports the uh, kind of the insulin resistance, blood sugar piece that we were talking about. And, okay. and that t- tends to be 
a lot of the underlying physiology of PCOS. So addressing that is usually a good idea. There's a lot of good research on myo-inositol and um, D-chiro-inositol in combination. There is research on N-acetylcysteine, which is uh, essentially an amino acid. Uh, so there are there's good data on quite a few different nutrients and supplements that can support um, people that are trying to conceive with PCOS. I want to give a a moment here. Doreen, do you want to chime in with some of the supplement pieces? Yes, absolutely. So um, just to echo what Dr. Armatma was sharing Lots of great research about inositol, which is why we um, include that as kind of a fertility booster for anyone who comes our way knowing that they have PCOS or if they suspect that they have it. And um, also, I want to uh, highlight that there are some clinical studies that show effectiveness of omega-3 fatty acids mm-hmm. for PCOS, as well as, um, and I don't know that this has been studied quite as in-depth, but vitamin D also comes up in the conversation, something that um, you know a lot of the U.S. population is often deficient in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we definitely encourage supplementation with those two as well. I love when we look at the whole person and the whole offering instead of just one way of rectifying an issue. So thank you for the the nutritional point of view on that. So what are some of the strategies? So maybe somebody is listening and they want to get pregnant soon. They may not even know they have PCOS. Are there, are there strategies for lowering the risks if someone has it or to actually avoid PCOS? Mm, Well, so PCOS may be avoidable. And I say maybe, and I'm very hesitant about that because there is a component of it that it could be genetic, right? So if it's genetic, your mom may not even have known about it because it's uh, like, as Doreen said earlier, like it hasn't been super common in our uh, knowledge database until more recently. And people weren't getting worked up even for it, right? So there's a little bit of like gap of information, but uh, there is a genetic component. So that part we can't do much about. There is a component of it that is epigenetic, which is essentially the, the, the layer of expression of these genes above our own genetic code. And that's something that is within our control. So the way that I like to think about it is we can optimize our genetic code by supporting the expression, the turning on and off of specific genes that are playing, making um, some things respond poorly, some things respond better, et cetera. So if we can optimize that, then we're doing what we can to maybe prevent PCOS or or lower the impact of PCOS on our reproductive organs. So how would we do that? <laughs> yeah, awesome. So let's get into it. Uh, I think of it, there's like three or four really solid things that literally anyone can do without harm. 
Uh, Number one, I would say, is getting rid of the toxins. Toxins really screw with our epigenetic expression of our genome. So they turn things off that aren't supposed to be on. They'll turn things, they'll like upregulate things that shouldn't be upregulated, right? So the toxins in our environment are playing a significant role in whether or not we are expressing what we should be and not under or over expressing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so the toxins oh, is, that one is reason, the first can I ask, So would that be mm-hmm. one reason why, it was just an article in the New York Times about this, mm-hmm. why girls are starting puberty so yeah. much younger? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this there, is why I had had a conversation with my nine-year-old, almost 10-year-old, and she wants to use, and maybe I'm going too off topic, but as someone that understands endocrine system, I bet you'd love this. So I watched some some documentary series about the beauty industry and like mm-hmm. fragrances and how yeah. it can affect um, estrogen. So yep. this is maybe yep. like two years ago. So I went through our bathroom with a big trash bag and I got rid of everything that had sense. And yeah. so every time my daughter... <laughs> I was like a crazy person. And I'm like, we use jojoba oil to to moisturize ourselves now. Get rid of that. So I I was a crazy person. So I tried to explain to my daughter why she can't have certain lotions that have a really strong smell. So these are the kind of toxins that we're talking about. Yes, Yes. absolutely. Those are really big ones, our fragrances. And another place to look as well, Dr. Mama and I spoke about this, you know, in the early days of Element is take a look at your supplements as well. You know, not to be the the supplement nerd here, but, um, you know, a lot of times people think that because it's something that you're taking, uh, you know, that you're ingesting, that there's, um, you know, guardrails or regulations around it. Keep in mind, supplements are not an FDA regulated category. And there's often a lot of junk and a lot of toxins in supplements And so it's just as important to be looking at what your supplements don't have um, as it is to look at what they do include. And some of the biggest offenders um, include titanium dioxide. It's actually been historically at times banned in the EU for being genotoxic, just as, you know, Dr. Amatma was saying regarding gene expression. This is something that has been shown to potentially cause issues. So Keep an eye out to avoid that one in your... Um, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to. Uh, right now, after our conversation, you know, so like I did for our bathroom and went through everything and got rid of everything that I thought was potentially harmful. I'm going to have to go downstairs. We have a lot of supplements and now I'm going to have to sit and read everything and look even closer. I thought I had, but yeah, I'm probably not the only one out there that hasn't thought to do so. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's stressful. Yeah, it's- no, it's it, it can feel overwhelming and it can feel stressful very quickly. So toxins are kind of a um a thing to just keep focusing on, okay. right? Like you don't have to go and change everything today, but <laughs> like do a little bit at a time. There 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 are toxins literally in every single area of our lives, uh, guaranteed. I don't care who you are. There are toxins in your house, okay. in your environment, and like even in the air that we cannot control, right? So to a certain degree, like you can only do what you can do. 
And the way that I think about it is the ones that we're ingesting are going to be vital because we're putting them straight into our bodies. Next is going to be the ones that we put onto our skin. So like you went through the makeup and skincare and health and beauty aids, that's really important. The third layer is going to be what we wear or what we put on our bodies. Um, and here we we can we can go as deep as you like, but like yoga pants, for example, like all the plastic that we are putting on our bodies that is essentially like not supportive to our hormones. Um, it's highly estrogenic and that is throwing off our estrogen. Um, as a yoga teacher, that's <laughs> sad because I live, although, you know, the funny thing is I live for the days where I don't have to put my yoga pants on. I really get excited to wear jeans. Um, but thank you for bringing that to my attention. That's, that's upsetting. Yeah. Well, there are, so there are companies that are eco and are like trying to do things differently. Right. So, um, I'm not affiliated with them, but there's a company called Pact, I think, that is like 100% cotton. Their clothes are cotton, right? So there are ways in which we can move towards removing the toxins where we choose to. And I say where we choose to because the yoga pants may not be so important if you're wearing them for an hour a day. Right. But uh, not my if you day. <laughs> live in them, right. If you live in them, then it may be worth exploring. Right. But our underwear certainly shouldn't be plastic. <laughs> so that's important. Or I I I often pick on um tampons and pads because I've seen like such a magical difference with stopping to use them. Um tampons and pads are made with cotton. Cotton is one of the biggest like sprayed plant that there is. Um, it's sprayed with glyphosate, which is basically Roundup. Um, and glyphosate it wreaks havoc on our microbiome. It kills all, like when it's sprayed onto our food and we ingest it, it's killing our gut microbiome. When we put it near our reproductive system, it's killing our vaginal and cervical mm. and fallopian, like the entire reproductive microbiome. So it's going to impact our bodies in a significant way. And, and those are the things that I'm like, okay, what's the lowest hanging fruit for you? Like what's easy to change that's not going to overwhelm you, that's going to just be like a quick win, (laughs) right? And often women with painful menstrual cycles, cramps, just like vaginal symptoms, things, uh, things will magically disappear or get at least like 40 to 80% better just from stopping the use of pads and tampons. Oh, that's so interesting. Wow. I always <laughs> learn so much. Can I jump in with a question? Which yes. is like, yeah. should, I be, should I and others be looking for like an organic stamp on, you know, some of those products? Like how can we be more confident that it's, you know, maybe a, a more thoughtfully made product? Yeah. So with pads and tampons, like organic is certainly better. I am a proponent because cotton is 
mostly in grown in fields. And most of these fields are right next to each other, right? So you may have an organic cotton field right next to a non-organic cotton field. And most of the sprays are done top down, very low bar of control Mm -hmm. in those environments. So my perspective is like organic cotton. If I have to, sure. I have a couple of like organic pads laying around if I absolutely must. But my preference is always for like menstrual cups, which are like not cotton at all, (laughs) right? They're latex, uh, most of them. And they're like high quality, high grade, medical grade latex, which is a lot safer. And then we have um, organic cotton panties that are period panties, essentially, um, that are not only organic, but then you don't, you're not going to keep replacing them. So the more you wash fabric, the more you're like losing any possibility that the spray is still there, right? Like my organic cotton panties from three years ago have been washed so many times, like there's no remnants of toxins, potential toxins in there. So you're lowering that risk over time just by reusing the same ones. I love this stuff because I love a practical kind of checklist because I'm sure we have people out there that are concerned about this, especially Mm -hmm. if they're considering pregnancy. And some of these seem really attainable. I like what you said, like grabbing the ones that you can do that don't stress you out. And then I guess, um, kind of systematically and putting some thought into some of the other ones. So, Ooh, this is exciting. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just say with PCOS, the other like big, um, ROI that you're going to get is going to be the stuff that removes plastic from your life. So plastic containers, buying food in aluminum cans that are lined with plastic, even Mm -hmm. if they say BPA free, most BPA-free products are actually going to use BPS or BPF, which is worse than the BPA to to begin with. So they're all bisphenol compounds. The BPA got unpopular or like kind of made it in the media. So now companies have gotten smart and they're like, oh, it's BPA-free. They didn't tell you it's BPS-free. They didn't tell you it's BPF free. It's just BPA free. So just like to me, as much plastic as we can eliminate, right? Like not buying food in plastic, not putting food in plastic bags to store it. Um, I've seen a lot of people like doing um, meal prep and it's all going in plastic bags. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I tell my mom that all the time. I'm like, she's like, it's microwave safe. I'm like, but you shouldn't be using it anyway. So here's another question about the plastic. Mm -hmm. So we often will get stuff that's in plastic and then we'll take it out and store it in glass. Mm -hmm. Is that better? Or is it once it's in plastic? Okay, so that's better. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. It's anything that you are taking a step towards shifting is better, right? Like it's, it, you're, again, I feel like it's doing what you can start with where you're at, do a little bit, 
this month, do a little bit next month, do a little bit the next month. So it's a journey rather than like, oh, I'm just going to like go and remove all the toxins. Like I can do that. And like the practical part of me in the back of my head is like, my husband's going to bring it right back in in a week. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it, it's, um, it's really like step by step by step. And, and like with my husband and I, he loves fragrance, right? Like he loves to, to smell good and he loves the smells and stuff. So I'm like, Hey, I bought you an essential oil dispenser. Here you go. You know, like just trying to do what I can so that it's replacing the things that he's used to. Like, let's not burn these candles that A, have so many toxins going right into our air. And then B, the fragrances are also getting released when we burn this and the candles. So, Oh my gosh, like, you gave me so much to think about. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like I literally started this conversation knowing, except what I researched for in preparation for our conversation. And now yeah. I feel like I have a better grasp of it, but I still have two lingering questions about hormonal imbalances. So knowing the community that's listening, new and expectant parents, what is that hormonal imbalance? How is it going to affect impact breastfeeding? Because I have so many students that will say, it just wasn't working for me. I didn't produce enough. Could Mm -hmm. that be the hormonal imbalance of PCOS or maybe also just toxin imbalance? Yes. Uh, It's often, so if they have PCOS, yes. Um, Really the potential of PCOS um, impacting breastfeeding is present. Like there is a risk. It does lower the production of breast milk. Um, Some of the... mm, Some of the magic in addressing it is really... Figuring out if um, the production of estrogen or the metabolism of estrogen or the body sensitivity to estrogen is is out of whack. And if we can figure that out, then, and usually like we really need to do this preconception because a lot of the herbs can't be used in pregnancy. They Mm. can't be used postpartum. So really we got to straighten it out in advance. But if we have the time to straighten it out, then what we really find is that women's, um, like so many times estrogen is just looked at as the bad guy, but in PCOS, there's a really different dynamic that's happening. And that's from the conversion of testosterone to estrogen. And that conversion is often delayed or impeded by PCOS. So I remember earlier I said hyperandrogenism is one of the things that has to do with PCOS, which is basically like too many androgens or testosterone Mm -hmm. compounds. Um, So if that testosterone is staying as testosterone, it's not converting to estrogen, giving the support to get that conversion going is going to make a huge difference in these women that are not regulating their cycles, not regulating ovulation. Like so much of it depends on estrogen. So if we're not getting that estrogen surge that's needed for ovulation to happen, 
or to signal LH, which then causes ovulation to happen, we're missing that key hormone. And that's the same hormone that is going to play a role in making the breast tissue be able to produce milk. So this is so fascinating. (laughs) So really what we're coming back to is that we need to look at the toxins in our environment and our role that we can play with that and what Mm -hmm. we're going to invite into our house or our bodies. And then with that understanding, before someone is planning a pregnant, if they have that luxury, because sometimes it's not planned, that if they're wanting to, to really spend the time and investigation to their hormone levels to see, because it sounds like it just keeps, if you have PCOS, it, it can, as we talked about, play a role in getting pregnant during pregnancy and also breastfeeding. So yeah. a lot of time and focus before while even now, like the person that's listening, thinking I might get pregnant, like we should start this immediately, (laughs) right? Or am I just, she might just getting too much, like jumping into the (laughs) Kool-Aid. No, no, it's sooner the better. Like uh, too often people are like, oh no, I wanted to be pregnant like two years ago. I'm like, yeah, why, why are you here now? (laughs) Like what happened two years ago? So it is, it's really like, hearing something that makes sense and you're like, oh my God, this is me. How do I address it? Yeah. This is really, this is really snapping in my head. I'm really excited about this. Yeah. Yeah. And just like being able to make that difference in the preconception period is huge because as much as we would love to support everyone, once you're pregnant or breastfeeding, it's it like a lot of the natural things just haven't been studied. It's mm. not that they're harmful, but if we don't know that they're safe, then they're harmful. Right. If that makes right, sense, right? right? Yeah. Like, we're not allowed to use it if we don't because know it that it's proven. 100% safe. So that preconception period and and like really addressing all of these things beforehand sets people up for the best possible success. It's not like we can't do anything if you're already pregnant, but we're going to we're going to have a lot more possibility of shifting things as if you reach out as soon as you realize that you need the support. Oh, this is great. Okay. I'm going to start to wrap things up, but I do have one question for Doreen since I know her focus is nutrition and supplements. So mm-hmm. Because I know Element does make it a personalized supplement, do you have a different, I don't know, formula or combination for folks that do have PCOS? Yeah. So the way that we've built Element is that it's basically a modular design. What I mean by that is that we have, as opposed to like a one size fits all, which is how every other prenatal on the market is, like they just have their formula, right? That goes into a, a plastic, in most cases, right? Speaking of plastic, um, a little plastic vial or plastic uh, bottle. Um, Element takes a different approach where we have many, many different formula types. So just as an example, we'll have, um, you know, for B vitamins, we have many different formulations. Um, something that is beyond the scope of this conversation, but certainly um, I'm sure Dr. Amatma and I would both love to, to have this conversation in the future around 
folate, for example, there's many different types of folate. And so with Element, we have different B vitamin formulations with different forms of folate. Um, And so we allow our customers to really take a very, very personalized approach around, are they using um, B vitamin formula A, B, C, D, et cetera? And we're custom kitting not just for the B vitamins, but for every um, ingredient that's included. So fat solubles, there's different formulations for that, for your, for your vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin D, vitamin K1, K2, et cetera. Um, there's different formulations for choline. Um, you know, there's amazing clinical evidence now that, uh, that choline is one of those ingredients that should change over the course of your fertility journey. Um, there's, for example, this new uh, study that showed that uh, women taking up to 900 um, milligrams daily of choline, uh, that their babies had better cognitive outcomes um, if they were supplementing with that 900 milligrams in the third trimester. So we see people taking more, you know, higher dosages of choline now um, in that in in the third trimester. So so much to unpack. But basically, the way that Element is designed is to truly provide that flexibility over the course of your fertility journey, over the course of your work with practitioners. So for example, you know, Dr. Mama or others, if, if they're telling um, one of their patients that they should be adjusting certain things, for example, maybe they discover they have thyroid dysfunction and shouldn't be taking iodine. No problem. Element can adjust around that immediately for our customers. Mm. So um, it's a really different approach, really innovative. It's patent pending. Um, you know, I always say I wouldn't have gotten into this if it wasn't something truly needed in the market. It's not about, you know, just another prenatal brand. This is something that is really tailored to people who are um, looking to optimize their supplementation routine and make it as simple as possible for themselves um, and have that extra support that they might not be getting from a traditional practitioner. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that's how we, we work. There's an amazing uh, kind of easy, fun, like onboarding process. And then every month we're asking our customers for their feedback, for what's maybe changed in their day-to-day lives so that we can customize every month's element box according to that person. Thank you. All right, we're going to take another break, but when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? We'll be right back. We're back. All right. So each of you, if you can give one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents, and you're both parents, so maybe it's coming more from, I don't know, that parent hat. So who wants to go first? I'm happy to jump in and then let Dr. Mama close out. So um, yes, I'm a mom already for several years and we have another one on the way, which is super excited about. Thank (laughs) you. And I feel like for um, my second pregnancy, one thing that I've been really reflecting a lot about is just trusting my instincts. I think that there are, you know, even within this conversation, right, there's so many pieces of advice. And at the end of the day, it's all about your journey and just trust that you know what's best for you. I think that's something that has been really resonating for me. Mm, I agree. Dr. Omatma? My favorite thing is to, if you're expecting to 
basically like load up your sleep bank Mm. (laughs) and it sounds so crazy, but like, I wish someone would have told me like sleep deprivation was the hardest part of the first few months postpartum. And I went into it depleted because I was overworking and trying to figure out how is I going to like sustain my practice and uh, like just all the questions, right? So bank sleep ahead of time, like get extra hours. It really will make a difference. And once you have the baby, um, figuring out with your partner, assuming you have a partner, if you don't, that's okay. You can get support. I have, we have lots of solo moms by choice who have a whole community of people that show up for them. So it doesn't have to be your partner, but somebody needs to alternate with you so that each of you can get a minimum of like six hours of sleep every night. And we figured out for us, we figured out like my husband could go to bed early because he was always an early sleeper anyway. So he was going to bed at like seven or eight and then would wake up at four and then he would be on duty. And then I was going to bed at my usual time and I would stay up till like 12 or one, I think. And then that like, so we basically like staggered our sleep so that the baby was covered, feeding was covered. And like, I was getting six hours of sleep. I was like, if I don't get a minimum of six, I will literally kill someone. So he was like, nope, we got this. We can figure it out. And it was one of the best things that we did. And that sounds great. Yeah. Sleep is honestly my favorite thing. (laughs) Yeah. And all of our friends were like, how are you so rested? How do you guys look so young? (laughs) Like we're pulling our hair out. So yeah, this like is the one. secret. <laughs> Where can people find your work? Uh, the best place for us is a holistic fertility doctor on Instagram. So at holistic fertility doctor, uh, that is where I share tons of information, tons of like videos and content and all of the things that uh, people might be into. I also have a podcast. It's called Egg Meat Sperm. Oh, wonderful. Make sure we have the link to that. Doreen? Egg meat sperm. It's the best name. Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, so uh, Element is at helloelement.com. Element is spelled with two L's, um, E-L-L-E-M-E-N-T, helloelement.com. And um, I also just want to share that, you know, we have an amazing medical advisory board around this. So honored and grateful that Dr. Armama has been part of the journey from the earliest days. But if you have any questions for us about, um, you know, how supplementation might be customized for you and for your specific case, you can also reach out to us at support at helloelement.com. This has been so interesting. You really uh, enlightened me about so much about uh, PCOS as as well as, again, going through my house and looking at what toxins can we get rid of immediately. So thank you for this conversation. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.